Hello, and welcome to the Behind the Give Button podcast, where we believe that charities desire to change the world, but struggle to get you involved. This podcast is all about exploring what's behind the give button so that your desire to change the world can find a trusted partner. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Behind the Give Button podcast. Today, I'm here with Fiorella um, from Restorations Canada, and I'm so excited to hear about your organization. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Claire. I'm super excited to be here. So why don't you start, I always start podcasts with just kind of getting to know you as a person. So why don't you take us through um, the path you've taken to hold this position? Absolutely. Okay. So I'll tell you a little bit about my story. Um, (laughs) My personal background's a little bit different in the sense that I'm actually new to nonprofit. I'm not from this nonprofit world. Um, I graduated from the University of Ottawa with an honor with a criminology degree and then I went to York and I did my honors there. Um, When I finished schooling I immediately started with the province of Ontario so I joined the government sector. Um, I was working at at victim witness assistance program. Um, I was really always kind of passionate about supporting victims and their families. So it was amazing to kind of jumpstart my career there. And um, from there, after a couple of years, I transitioned into their corporate office, Ontario Victim Services Secretariat, and then I worked on an ICE pro- on the ICE project. And ICE stands for Internet Child Exploitation. Um, so I worked there for a couple of years as their coordinator. I did a lot of approvals, funding, and sort of the coordination of counseling services for victims and for their families. And I provided that level of support um, that was important for like the families and the victims who were navigating a very, very traumatic chapter in their lives. So um, I did a lot of organizing, organization of conferences and events as well. And this was back in the day when we could actually get together in large groups and not with the threat of like a deadly virus. So those were the good old days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and after that, I transitioned into a different role in the justice sector. I ended up working in police oversight and compliance for about seven years as a team lead. Then I decided to try on corrections for a little bit. And that was like my last role before I ended up here. Um, me and my husband, we, we left the big city. We left Toronto. We moved to Hamilton. I got a position at correctional services recruitment. And there I was training um, correctional professionals like probation, parole, correctional staff on self-care, resilience, trauma-informed care, mental health, um, health and wellness. And so I was designing training on those topics. And then I ended up here at Restorations in February. That is quite the resume leading up. So <laughs> how did you come to, you know, hold that positions uh, with corrections and teaching self-care to now um, be the interim executive director of Restorations? So this wasn't planned in any way. The, the universe works <laughs> in really weird ways. So I guess what happened was... Um, I joined the board. I joined the board of restorations because I was really, really interested in kind of going back. Um, This was during a time where I, things, my kids were getting older. Like I found that I had a bit more free time. COVID kind of opened up more time because now we were all working from home. So I thought I want to give back in some way um, to the community and I want to volunteer more time. I had already been volunteering in the public sector. I was, um, I was volunteering for a diversity committee called Ola OPS, where we mentor employees to like grow, go through the talent pipeline and go into senior positions. And 
because there's such an underrepresentation of racialized um, persons in senior leadership and executive roles. So I was already doing passion work of mine, but mm-hmm. this was another sort of passion area I wanted to explore. So I reached out, I got on the board and then a couple of months in, so from October, when I joined the board, fast forward to February of 2021, um, I was asked if I would be okay to lead the organization in an interim capacity until Jennifer Lacking returned from her mat leave. And I accepted the position uh, very excitedly. And that's how I'm in this seat right now. (laughs) (laughs) And so was that a shock for you um, in, you know, just kind of agreeing to this board position to then all of a sudden like, hey, will you just lead the organization? Was that a huge shock for you or was it something you'd been putting feelers out for? No, there were no feelers. (laughs) There was little feelers. Um, No, like I say, the world works in really strange ways. And I've always believed because like professional and personal development is such a big thing for me. Um, I've always believed that things happen the way that they're supposed to happen. And it was kind of meant to be at that point in my time, I was asking the universe, what more can I do to help? And this came up, so I wasn't going to say no. Thankfully, my employer was um, at the government. They said, yeah, we'll approve this leave, take the 10 months and explore nonprofit, see how it goes and come back to us with even greater skills and greater like knowledge that we can share and go make a difference. So I was like, okay. <laughs> There's an opportunity to have such a supportive, um, you know, position that will let you take, take this time. That's yeah, incredible. They're great. <laughs> They are great. (laughs) So why don't you tell us um, who Restorations is, what do you do, um, and what are you doing in your community? Okay, so Restoration Second Stage Homes, it's a long name. I'm just going to say Restorations moving forward, but Restorations, we're a registered nonprofit organization that provides long-term transitional housing, supportive services, and programming to survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. So we have a couple of major areas of programming. The first one is the one that's actually up and running right now and is actually working um, and has been since October. It's been operational is our survivor led peer advocate and support program. So the way that works is we currently have two staff on board um, who run the program. Both are peer advocates and both are survivors with lived experience. Um, Ray is our program facilitator and Michelle is our outreach facilitator and they both run individualized one-on-one sessions. They also run larger group sessions. They do drop-ins, they do social events. Um, for example, obviously when I say social, I mean remotely social, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, they do like virtual book club, cooking classes, movement sessions, movie nights, paint nights. Um, and they also provide like outreach in the sense that when it's allowed, when we're not in like lockdowns um, and the restrictions are a little bit easier, they're able to do accompaniments. So appointments um, just to be there for emotional support, for advocacy. They can do casual home visits, transportation facilitation. um, And then they can also assist survivors by helping them to run errands in the community, right? So like things like going to the bank um, or going to the grocery store, all very simple things that we take for granted um, that sometimes survivors need like that extra support or companionship um, to promote that positive community reintegration for them, especially right now with COVID. 
Um, a lot of the survivors in our programs have been feeling like extra isolated. Yeah. So having this like peer support program is sort of like, in their words, like a lifeline. And it has been doing really, really well. I'm very proud of um, both of them for doing such a great job with this program. Yeah. And um, so is, is Restorations a newer organization? If you're saying that that's just started since October, um, what's the history of the organization? So it's actually been in, I I guess it's been around since 2013 when a group of women got together in a living room and wanted to talk about the realities of human trafficking. Um, And that's when Restorations was born as a concept and an idea. But since then, um, there's been a lot of sort of just the work of becoming a registered charity and all that stuff. I would say that Restoration, since Jennifer joined in 2018 as CED um, in a full-time staff position, that's when Restorations really took off the ground and started running. Um, And that's when we started working towards the second pillar, which is the house. So the transitional support program, it's not up and running, but it is oh so close. (laughs) We're so there, like we're almost there. Um, that's the other program area and really what restorations was created for transitional second stage housing. Um, so basically this house that we have, it's located in Burlington, can't tell you where, but somewhere there. And it was a residential like style three bedroom home, um, that was provided to us for us to use. And we like, the community of Halton, Burlington, Hamilton, like Oakville, people from everywhere, and especially like Shane Renovations, like they all came together. They like 360 this house, like completely. You can actually check out our website to see photos of like what it looked like, the renovation process, the remodeling. The house looks amazing. If that whole piece just wrapped up, I'd say probably around December. Um, so it is a three style bedroom home with an office in the basement, really nice like communal living spaces, very open concept kitchen, um, two bathrooms on the main floor. Cause you know, there's women living there yeah. two is better than <laughs> one, and then another one for staff in the basement. Um, so it's just such a, such a beautiful house. Um, that is, we're almost there. It's going to be, per, it's going to like house three women that can stay up to two years in the house. So very long-term and mm-hmm. while they're living in the home, um, it's going to be a very supportive sort of integrated and holistic case management approach. So we'll have staff there that can provide their case management services or referrals to other agencies or other organizations, counseling supports, in-house programming. So holistic wellness, yoga, cooking, um, also life skills, right? Like financial planning and budgeting and education, preparing them for the workforce, like all those things we want to get in place um, and give them the time to, to pursue at their own pace as they're ready to kind of approach all those pieces. And then hopefully when graduation day comes, which is, you know, it might be before two years, it might be just around that mark, they're ready to exit the program and live fully independently and and start a new restorative, completely new chapter of their lives. Wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There's just so much that it sounds like you're providing and that's so encouraging. Like, I think I've shared with you Um, when we met before, but I worked in uh, like the anti-human trafficking um, sphere uh, for over a year as well. And that was just continually the kind of the, the shortfall of 
services out there is safe housing. And so it's so encouraging to hear that not only do you have a housing, um, you know, available, but there's also so many services you're able to provide beyond that. Yeah, it is. One of the coolest things about our home is that there are wonderful organizations out in the community that do provide like transitional housing or shelter or safe housing for survivors, but not many that are so specific to our niche or our population of human trafficking survivors because their needs are often very complex. And so sometimes our survivors end up in shelters um, with other organizations, but they can't quite meet their unique needs because now they're housed with domestic violence victims or other, other situations like sexual assault victims. But the human trafficking element is so complex that, mm-hmm. that the specialization of having a home like ours that only focuses on providing those services is something we are really proud of and really happy that we can support. Yeah. And so when you're giving your background of, you know, the roles you've held up until this point, um, why specifically was it this space um, that, you know, you're passionate about that you want to work in? So I have a very personal connection to the work at Restorations um, and what they do and why I wanted to join this board and why I care about this cause. So when I was um, 12, 13 years old, I met someone online and this is back when the inter- the internet was still a mystery to many people. Like we didn't have, we didn't have privacy settings. We didn't have parental controls. We didn't know what grooming or luring was. Like this was all brand new. Um, So because of that, um, and a lot of factors in my own personal life and socioeconomic factors that I see out in the community now, um, I was kind of the typical person who would have fallen prey to online grooming and learning and exploitation. So I was exploited um, online and in person for over a year. Um, The reason why I worked on the, the ICE project, the Internet Child Exploitation Project, was because I knew firsthand how it happened why it happened, what it looked like from the inside, um, and also how to prevent it, because I had lived it. (laughs) So from a survivor point of view, I have always, I know the direct correlation and the intricacies of sexual exploitation, as well as how it can very easily from that go into human trafficking. Thankfully, I never progressed into that stage of human trafficking. My exploitation only happened with one person. However, that exploitation became, my pictures were sold to numerous people. Online videos were made, right? Um, The trauma is still very real. And that's the other thing that we know because we are survivor-led, because we have an ED who has lived experience, because we have staff who have lived experience, we understand fully how every survivor's journey looks so different, how every person experiences that that exploitation or trafficking in a different way and how their own journey is so distinctive and how we need to provide very individualized support to tailor to them and what that looks like and what healing looks like for them because it's never gonna look the same across the board. Thank you so much for sharing that and for being, uh, you know, vulnerable in sharing that. Uh, I'm, I can imagine it wouldn't be easy sharing that, um, but to come from a place of uh, having that lived experience and making a change in the world because of it, um, it is amazing to be able to see and to meet you and to hear what you're doing and how you've let it let it fuel you and uh, you know the role that you play in this world. So thank you. 
Well, you're welcome. I think that it's such a privilege. Like I truly consider it an opportunity. And that's why I say I just, this happened for a reason. I can now use my voice in a way that, um, I can talk about my experience in order to educate, to like help other people, parents, especially youth on this topic of sexual exploitation and to like indicate through my own experience how easily it can happen. Because especially now, this was like so many years ago. It is a much like more advanced way of of things, how technology are, right? COVID, our kids are now spending way more time online. It's way easier now for a predator to contact a child um, and for this to happen to anyone. So I truly do use the opportunity on top of just running the programs, also doing the, the education, the advocacy, the outreach, just so that we can work on prevention so that at some point this ends and it doesn't, we don't, maybe there's a future where we don't have to provide these houses anymore because mm-hmm. it's that would be amazing. It would, it really would. And so as you're speaking about kind of what drives you, what, what you're most passionate about, what is your favorite part of uh, this role you've taken on? So there's a few. So I'm going to start off with probably my favorite part right now is working with our team. Um, We've been very fortunate to have recently grown in size. We have three new summer students that just started over the last couple of weeks um, that I'm super excited about because it's additional support to all the work that we're doing. And then we also have our advocates. So Bray and Michelle, um, they absolutely inspire me. They challenge me in my thinking and they remind me how every survivor experience is so different and unique and how that in turn impacts each journey. Um, I'm still healing. I'm learning. I'm growing. But working alongside both of them has actually been like not just an honor, but it's been very restorative. I found it very healing. I found that their presence and just even working alongside with them um, has been very much a comfort. So I love listening to them when, you know, we have our weekly meetings and they tell me about the, the successes in the program, what they're celebrating through the peer support program. Um, it completely fills my heart with so much pride, pride in my staff pride in their talents and their skills and how they're using their experience in such a positive, empowering way. Um, pride in the survivors themselves for the, the work that they're putting in and pride in the organization, the difference we're making, the lives that we're touching, pride in the community that supports us and helps us to get to where we are every single day. I love that every day is different. Um, every day there's always something new and it's either going to terrify me or it's going to excite <laughs> me. <laughs> But every day I see it as a challenge or an opportunity to kind of deal with something out of my comfort zone, to challenge mine or someone else's thinking, to dig deeper, to learn more about myself, um, to support, empower and advocate other people so that we can help them overcome, rebuild, rise and ultimately restore um, who they are as people, as, as to become whole again. So I've really, really enjoyed the people aspect of this job a lot. It's become, it's really shown to me how much I enjoy leadership. um, And that'll be something I pursue in the future uh, when I return to government. And the other part that's been actually pretty surprising to me as someone who spent their entire career in government and now has dabbled in nonprofit I am surprised, pleasantly surprised at the level of networking and collaboration across this sector. 
Um, there are so many agencies and so many organizations that are sitting at the table on our committees that are volunteering their time themselves to help us with policy development, um, with pro procedures, with all the pieces that we kind of have to have in place for this house to open. Um, there are organizations that are also supporting survivors that might end up in our program at some point because they have safe housing or shelters. Um, but they would like to see them transition to second stage homes. So they're eagerly like on our side, cheering us on. And I love it. I love the level of collaboration that we've had. Um, it's been really refreshing to see because sometimes you don't see that in other spaces. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's been great to work alongside them on like different collaboratives on coalitions to partner with them and providing services. Um, all in the fight against gender-based violence and providing safe spaces for like shelter for women um, victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, all of that has been like incredibly amazing. So it's been great. Mm -hmm. And so if someone's listening to this and is um, getting excited or has this passion for, um, you know, being involved in this space, how would they go about doing so? What are the different avenues they could be involved? Absolutely. Yeah. We welcome anyone who wants to be involved, um, but the best way to get started, I would probably say, is to start by following us on social media, like even just checking out our website um, and then our social media. So we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and we use those, um, those platforms to regularly like share content. We're always sharing updates on where we are with the house, um, what's going on in the organization, who's joined us, opportunities so we have had that's close now but we did just recently have a board opening for more board directors um but it is always good to check in there because we will start as the house actually becomes operational and opens up we're going to need people who have a passion for this work and are interested in volunteering um in a formal capacity perhaps on a committee that's being formed right now because we have quite a few that we're going to start developing as well um, we're also going to need staff. So there will be future employment opportunities at restorations as well for people that want to work in the transitional home. Um, so I would definitely say connect with us, follow us. And even if you want to support in other ways, like connect about like educational opportunities, maybe you want someone from restorations to come out and talk to your group, your the parents, youth, um, you're at a school or you run a work organization, you think this is an important topic we should talk about. I think it is. So I yes. mean, I'll always say it is, but you know, that that's always an opportunity as well to just kind of share the information. Um, so yeah. Sounds like there's lots of uh, ways to get involved. So let's now jump into the, the question of the podcast. Um, what's behind uh, Restoration's Give button? If I'm a potential donor, um, interested in knowing where my money's going to go, if there's different uh, avenues I could choose, it goes towards, if you could kind of um, give us a peek behind that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when someone clicks on that give button, that donate button on our website, they're likely supporting two main areas. There are options on there um, for different, like general funding, or if you want to donate your funds specifically to peer support. Um, right now, as an organization, our focus really is on opening this house. Um, 
operational costs and staffing costs are our main priority right now. We need to raise the funds. We have goals in mind um, of how much we would like to raise to, to open up because the way that we're thinking is to open a home like this, you don't want fly by the seat of your pants style of, oh, we're going to make it through this month. We're okay. Yeah. We, we really need to have a plan in place for the safety and to make sure that we're not putting our survivors in a dangerous situation where we might dry up and now what happens to people in the home, right? So we are hoping to raise enough funds right now for staffing the home for two years. And two years gives the organization the ability to breathe a sigh of relief that now we don't have to focus solely on being out there and just asking for more money or generating donations or applying for grants or looking for other funding opportunities, we can actually focus on the task at hand and the important work that needs to be done, which is supporting survivors. There's a lot of red tape um, and bureaucratic nonsense that can be very problematic for nonprofit. Um, and I'm seeing that now, fully seeing it. I, the, with us being able to actually have like the donor community support um, and being funded publicly through those donations, it's going to eliminate a lot of that time that we would be spending, like completing those applications, doing those like reporting requirements, being bogged down by like all the, all that red tape that we don't really want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why we, we truly do appreciate every penny and all the generosity that we do get from the community. Um, so yeah, I don't, <laughs> hopefully that kind of answered where that would be going right now. It totally does. And it sounds like um, you're pretty transparent about the different options and, uh, you know, what the money's going towards. Yeah, absolutely. The biggest cost for an organization like us is truly staffing um, and operation costs. As you know, our peer survivor program, those are employees, right? Um, Employees and survivors with lived experience. So we value them. And that's why we... um, we focus most of the spending that we have on their salaries and their wages um, to support them. And we wanna do the same with the staffing. We don't want to cut corners or anything like that. We wanna pay a fair wage to the women that will be living, that will be working there um, and helping our survivors like in their day-to-day care. Well, thank you so much, Fiorella, for spending some time with us, for sharing all about your organization. I have really enjoyed learning about uh, all that Restorations is doing, and I'm sure everyone listening will uh, enjoy it as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was really fun, and uh, thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Behind the Give Button podcast. You can find all the information about Restoration Second Stage Homes on social media and on the website. So go check them out there. They've got a really special fundraiser going on. So show them some support. I hope you'll tune in to the next episode.